Well, before the Lord decided to give my wife and I five kids, and I choose my words carefully there, before the Lord decided to give my wife and I five kids, we had talked a lot about adopting. And I'm an only child. That may not come as a surprise to some of you. Maybe for some of you, you're like, wow, an only child, he's got five kids. So watch out. Any of you out there, doesn't matter how many brothers and sisters you have, you could have 50 kids, right? So I'm an only child. My wife, when we were dating in college, she was like, I've always wanted to adopt. And I said, well, do you do you want to have, uh, you know, biological kids and, and adopted kids and all one big happy family? She said, yeah. And I'm, initially I was thinking, how can you love more than one child? That's impossible, right? Because I'm an only child. So I'm thinking to myself, there's not enough love to go around for multiple kids. But she always wanted to do that. So we went to this adoption event that was held at, at Masters while we were still there, I think like our senior year. And we were learning about international adoption, thinking about, you know, this is something that maybe we want to do down the road. And and one of the guys that stood up to speak, he and his family had adopted and adopted multiple times internationally, specifically from China. And he got up to talk about the the first little girl that they brought home to be their daughter, a part of their family. And he said they brought her home. She was a toddler and, and they went to church that weekend. She's you know, doesn't know the language, doesn't know the people, doesn't know anything else. She's brand new back home. She's theirs. They're looking at her going, you are ours. You are our daughter. And they take her to church and they drop her off in the toddler classroom at church, much like we have over here. And they went into the main service to worship together as husband and wife. And they were going to go pick her up afterwards. Well, about halfway through the sermon, the number flashes up on the screen. If you guys have ever been at those churches, they've got the numbers up there to let you know, hey, your kid is causing major issues. Come and get them. That happened. And he's sitting out there and he looks at his wife and he's like, oh, well, this is probably, she's just, she's got to be, she must be just breaking down. This must be, she's out of place. She feels uncomfortable. She feels like this is strange and she doesn't know where she is. We feel bad for her. She, he said, I'll go get her. So he gets up and he walks out and he goes to the classroom and sure enough, he hears crying as he's walking up and he's like, okay, yeah, my, it's my, my daughter. I feel so bad for her. And he comes up to the door, but when he comes to the door, he didn't find what he expected because he looks in this classroom and what he sees is he sees a group of five or six toddlers sitting around the snack table and they are all wailing and screaming and crying. And then he sees his daughter and his daughter is not crying because what his daughter has done is reached out at snack time and grabbed everyone else's snacks from them and hoarded them to herself. And she's sitting there just mowing down on her snacks and everybody else is just in tears. And the nursery workers are like, what do you want us to do? We've never encountered this before. Well, the reason she was doing this, and this is where it gets a little bit more real and a little bit more heartbreaking in this instance, is she was doing that because when she was in the orphanage back in China, she had to fight for her food. So if food was put on the table, if she didn't do that, if she didn't go after whatever food there was, she wasn't going to eat that day. And so she didn't understand now being brought back to the United States and being put in this church where fishy crackers are just like a never-ending fountain of food available, right? She didn't, she didn't get that. She didn't understand that because she'd never experienced that. And so even though so much had changed about her life, her identity was totally different, wasn't it? She was no longer an orphan. She was no longer an orphan waiting for adoption. She had now been adopted. She was now this family's daughter. She was there. She was 100% their child. And they were bringing her to a place where they knew that, that there was food and, and food aplenty. And she could have her snack. And if she needed more, she could do that little cute sign language thing that kids do. And she could have more fishy crackers. But in her mind, she wasn't thinking about herself in that way. Her identity as an adopted member of this family had not taken root in her heart. Her awareness of all the blessings that come along with being a part of this family had not sunken in. In her mind, she was still back in that orphanage in China and she still had to fight for the food. So when the food hit the table, she went after it the way she always had because she didn't know any better. 
She hadn't started to think about her new identity as her new reality. And as we get into the book of Romans, and as we're looking at Romans 6, and we looked at it last week, this idea of our identity, a problem with us so often is that we are the, just like that little girl in that classroom. Our identity has changed. It's shifted. We're no longer who we once were, but we're not thinking about ourselves that way. We're still thinking. We're still engaging. We're still considering that, that we're just like we've always been. I don't know if you have ever paid attention to it, and it actually just struck me last night, and that is this. Do you guys know where the first command in the book of Romans takes place? Think about it. Romans, big letter. The Apostle Paul, you've got chapter one, you've got, I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel, you've got chapter two, hey, it's, it's bad news for everybody, you've got chapter three, hey, it's bad news for the Jews, you've got chapter four, hey, but don't worry because Abraham is a model of righteousness by faith, you've got chapter five, where you've got the two Adams, you've got the one Adam who sinned and, and messed things up, and then the second Adam, who's Jesus Christ, who died, and, and now life is available for all of us, you've got all of these amazing things in Romans, but where's the first command, where's the first, so now go and do? Where does that happen? Romans 6.11, in the text that we're going to be in tonight. So Paul doesn't get to a, a call to action until Romans chapter 6, verse 11. And that call to action is this. You must, okay, there's the imperative, there's the command. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must. In fact, it says, so you must. In other words, in light of everything, that I've been talking to y'all about in light of everything that I've been writing to y'all about because Paul said y'all. Okay, let's just get over that. He did. In light of all of that, you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. You must change your mental approach. You must change the way you think about yourself. Just like that little girl had to begin to change the way she thought about herself. And so when we look at the argument so far, even in, in chapter five, verse 20, because of God's grace that abounds where sin increases, Paul says, because of that, you've got to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Because we have died to sin. We've been united to the, the death of Jesus, baptized into his death as we looked at last week. We've been buried with him by baptism into that death. And now because we can walk in newness of life, we need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because we've been united with him in a resurrection like his, as we'll see tonight, our old self was crucified with him that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Because of all of these things, we should, we must, we need to. It's a command from God through Paul to us that we begin to think differently. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, it boils down to this, y'all. Your new identity in Christ has to begin with how you think of yourself. It has to begin with how you think of yourself. To consider, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. To consider means taking all of the facts into account and drawing the right conclusion. Looking at everything before you and saying, okay, now that I've considered everything, here's my conclusion about things. And Paul says that conclusion needs to be that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. But what are some of the things that we should consider? Pick up in verse five. Let's read verses five through seven. Of chapter six, Paul writes this, for if, and I don't like that translation there, because it's not an if, there's not a question about this, it's since, 
If you're in Christ, if you are a Christian, and that Greek word can either mean if or since. Here I think it should be rendered since. Since we have been united with him in a death like his. That is a fact. We have been. That's what we talked about last week. Paul's just been arguing with that. We've been baptized with Christ. We've been buried with him by baptism into death. Since we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know, notice the confidence here, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Let's unpack that a little bit here. First look at that, he says again, since. For since we have been united with him in a death like his. We talked about that last week. Christ's death becomes our death. So that now God the Father looks at you and I and he looks at our sin and he says, you know what, that's paid for. That's been atoned for by Jesus Christ because when Christ was crucified on the cross, it's like we were with him there on the cross, which is the point that Paul will make more expressly here in just a moment. But we were connected with that death. He says we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his that we might walk in newness of life. We talked about that a little bit last week. We're gonna flesh that out more tonight. But he also says this, he says, we know this is something that we understand. This is something that we've come to agree upon. This is something that we see, that we say, yes, this is true. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Crucified with him. It's as though that our old self, and you think about your old self. Who's your old self? Your old self is who you are before Christ. For some in this room, it's who you might still be. It's that self that's chasing the satisfaction, that's chasing the approval, that's chasing the, the pleasure from the world. It's the self that says that, that the highest good is whatever is good for you. It's the self that says, I'm just going to get mine and I don't really care about anyone else in my way. If you're going to be a benefit to me, then great, I will bring you into my life. But as soon as you stop benefiting me, then I'm done with you. That old self, Paul says, was crucified with Christ. What was crucifixion intended to do? You guys can interact at this point. Kill, right? Did Paul know that? Yeah. Yeah, Paul was aware of that. And so this isn't as though Paul was exaggerating things. In fact, a lot of times we'll say something about somebody who get, gets lit up in the media or gets made fun of or mocked or whatever, and we'll say this. We'll say that, man, they, they were crucified. They really crucified that person. That, can I just tell you guys, that, that makes my skin crawl when I hear that. Because that's nothing like what Christ went through for us. That's nothing like what crucifixion actually was. And so I don't care how bad the public demeaning is and degradation is and everything else. If, if it stops with words, it wasn't crucifixion. Paul knew what crucifixion was. And he's saying, look, guys, our old self was nailed to the cross and executed with Christ. There's a shift. There's a cut. There's a break with that old self and who you were before. He says, in order that, notice, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In order that this flesh that so craves and lusts and wants what the world offers. 1 John 2.15, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. This body of sin that lives for those things, that plans for those things. When's the next time I can get my fix? When's the next time I can sin? When's the next time I can indulge in this? That body of sin, Paul says, because we've been crucified with Christ, is brought to nothing brought to nothing. It's strong language. It's, it's a, a word in the Greek that means it's rendered powerless. 
that the body of sin has no more power over you and I. He says, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That sin would no longer be your master. See, God's grace has taken you from who you were and he's united you to the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ so that no longer are you enslaved to sin. The power and the clout and the the authority that sin once had in your life, it no longer has because of your relationship with Jesus. Your identity has changed. But the problem is so many of us are still thinking about ourselves like we are our old self. And it's time that we need to adjust our thinking. It's time that we need to shift our thought process here and start looking at ourselves as the new creation that we are in Christ. It's point number one for us tonight. It's this. Consider that you aren't who you once were. Consider that you're not who you once were. How many of you have done some stupid things in life? Anybody? Yeah. My hand's up for a reason, not just as an example. I have done stupid things in life. Probably some of the dumbest things I've done in life. Uh, In high school, uh, we used to jump in the back of a... This is going to stereotype Texans so bad. Why am I even saying this? (laughs) Anyways, we used to jump in the back of my friend's pickup truck, and we used to shoot Roman candles at the back of the pickup truck at oncoming cars. Just not smart. Don't do that, right? And then we also used to make dry ice bombs, right? You take a, a two liter soda bottle, you get some dry, dry ice, you put it in the bottom of the soda bo- bottle there, you put some water in there, you cap the bottle off, gas expands and that thing's gonna blow up. My, my buddy had a mannequin, right? And why he, I don't know why he had a mannequin, but he literally strapped those things to the mannequin and blew holes in the mannequin, okay? So that's the, the force. So we would take those and we would drive around Dallas and Plano and we would take the, the things and chuck them down in, in the gutters because they, they would just, like the, the noise was insane. We sunk one in my best friend's pool and we felt it before we heard it. Like it shook. His dad came out of the house and was like, you guys need to not do that anymore. So I've done some dumb things right? Some things that if I ran into some of my friends from back in high school, they'd be like, hey, are you still doing ridiculous stuff? And I'd say, no. Why? Because I'm not that guy anymore. I've matured. I've, I've grown up. I'm a different guy. Now, if you want to go blow stuff up at the refresh retreat, we might be able to work some, something out on that. We might be able to bring some dry ice and some two-liter bottles. But anyways, I'm not doing that anymore, right? I've, I'm grown up. I've got a family. I've got a wife to care about. I'm, I'm a pastor. I can't go firing Roman candles out of the, the car while I'm driving down Aliso Creek Road. That's not going to go well. So we understand what it's like to leave behind childish ways, to leave behind things that we used to do, to think that, you know what? I'm not who I once was. And spiritually, it's the same thing, guys. In Christ, we are not who we once were. Life has changed. Things are different. Our allegiance is different now. In Christ, now our allegiance is no longer just to us. It's not to ourselves. In fact, it's not at all to ourselves, or it shouldn't be. Our allegiance has shifted now so that Christ is our Lord, that we have surrendered to Him and said, You are our Lord. I'm going to live now for you and no longer for me. Now we also have a different perspective on the cost of our sin. When we're not saved, we sin and we don't care about it. Because we don't have in mind the cross. We don't think about what it cost God, what it cost Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin. When we're not saved, we also don't think about the rewards of obedience because we don't care to obey. But as believers now, we have this concept that if we're obedient to the Lord, if we deny ourselves, if we put off sin and put on Christ-likeness, that there's rewards that we are storing up for ourselves in heaven. And also. Also, on the the flip side of that, as believers, we're now aware of the the consequences of our sin. That our sin can break 
relationships with others, that it can hinder our relationship with God. And so all of those things, as we put those together, those are examples of how the power of sin has been broken in our lives, that the body of sin has been brought to nothing through these things. Let's think through that practically with a couple of sins that I'm sure all of us in this room have struggled with at one time or another in certain ways. Let's talk about sexual sin because that's the most comfortable one to talk about. Think about that though. Whatever that looks like for you in your life. Now, as a believer in Christ, you can go through and and think about it this way. Number one is, is your allegiance to God and his will for your life or yourself and your desires? In other words, are you willing to trust that God has designed for you a relationship with a husband or a wife in the future that is going to satisfy those urges and those desires that you have right now? And that that is better than you satisfying them now in just a selfish grab at, at immediate gratification. Second, do you consider that Jesus Christ was crucified for that sin? That your lust, that your whatever it is that, that you indulge in in this, in the, the category of sexual sin, that, that Jesus was killed for that. And that if he wasn't crucified for you, that God, you would have to suffer under the, the full wrath of God against that sin. Do you think about how much better the rewards of fighting that sin, staying pure, are going to be than the temporal pleasures of giving in? Do you fear the consequences of what that temporal indulgence will do to your relationship with God or with others that are involved in that with you? See, whatever your background is, maybe you've been saved and you've got a past with this sin. Guys, the good news is that now you've been set free from that sin that now the body of sin has been brought to nothing, been rendered powerless in your life so that now you can go through this and you can say, look, my allegiance is different. My loyalties are different. I understand the cost of my sin. I understand the the benefit and the rewards of fighting my sin. I understand the the consequences if I give in to my sin. And you can experience victory over these sins. How about the sin of gossip? Same thing. Is your allegiance to God? Is your allegiance to the God who created everyone in his own image? Or is your allegiance to yourself and your own need to tear somebody down to make yourself feel better? Or to have the, the, the earliest angle on whatever the, the gossip may be? Or how about this? Do you consider that Jesus was crucified for the person that you are slandering, that you are gossiping about? And that he was crucified because of the gossip that you are committing? Do you think about the rewards that will be yours for loving others as Christ has loved you instead of tearing people down, instead of slandering and gossiping about them? Do you fear the consequences of slandering somebody made in the image of God, that God created that person? Do you fear the consequences of the hypocrisy of worshiping him with the same mouth that you gossip with, as James talks about? So this is that, that process of saying, okay, what does it mean? Why, what, practically, I'm not who I once was. Great, the body of sin has been rendered powerless, but I still struggle with sin. Yeah, you do. But now you have the ability to fight. Now you have the ability to battle. Now you have the, the ability to do this. And yes, it's gonna take this patient and concerted effort. Y'all, sanctification is not a passive endeavor. It's not as though you get saved and then you get to just kick it into neutral and trust that God is going to make you holy just magically over time. If you want to be more Christ-like, you've got to put skin in the game. You've got to start making a concerted effort to grow in Christ. 
You've got to start giving yourself over to saying, you know what, I'm going to not just say I'm struggling with the sin, but no, I am going to all out war against this sin. I am fighting this sin, and here's how I'm fighting this sin. Some of you in this, this room, you have just phenomenal testimonies about the transformation that's taken place between who you once were and who you are now. Just like as that little girl grows up from that story I told at the beginning, she's going to have an amazing testimony to stand up and say, you know what? I was an orphan in China. I had, I had to fight for my food. And now I'm, I'm part of a family that loves me and cares for me and provides for me. Guys, the, the change that's taken place in our lives as believers is so much bigger than that. You heard Chelsea's testimony as she stood up here earlier. And those of you who are Christians in this room, each of you have a testimony. Let me urge you, plead with you, beg you, use it. Don't waste it. Bring it to bear on other people's lives and say, let me tell you about who I was and who I am now and about how God saved me. Because here's why I want y'all to do that. Because some of you in this room tune me out and I get that. Here's the pastor, here's the guy, he stands up and he preaches, I'd rather be anywhere else than here right now. I understand that. But when you guys as peers come alongside somebody and say, no, you don't, need, you don't understand, this is real. Can I tell you, I've been where you are. And here's how Christ turned my life upside down and changed me and how grateful and thankful I am for it. It's gonna be so much harder for them to ignore you than it is for them to ignore me. It's easy to ignore me. And so use your testimony. Paul says this in Galatians 5.17, for the desires of the flesh, Galatians 5.17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Guys, the, the, the work of being a believer is hard work. It is a fight. It is a battle. It's going to be an ongoing war for you. There are days that you are going to get up and it's going to sound like that flesh in you has a megaphone and it's just screaming at you temptation after temptation after temptation. But you guys now in Christ, because of your new identity, because the body of sin has been brought to nothing, you have a decision each morning that you wake up, who are you going to hand the megaphone to? Are you going to hand it to your flesh or are you going to hand it to the Lord? Are you going to spend time in the words, time in prayer, time around other believers so that the spirit is loud in your life? Or are you going to... Ignore those things, neglect those things, say, I don't have time for those things. And you're going to open the door for the flesh to just scream at you all day long. You are not who you once were. The gospel has enormous implications for our past, but also has enormous implications for our future too. Paul continues here. He says, not only are you not who you once were, but think about this now. He says, now if we have died with Christ, and we have, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. But in fact, truly, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, the pledge of everyone else who's gonna follow after him, also who are gonna raise from the dead. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Death is the result of sin, yes? And it's effects are undeniable. They're on display all around us. Each of you in this room, I'm sure, have been touched by death. Somebody in your family, somebody in your life, somebody close to you has died and you felt how much your, your, 
entire being just grates against that and you say, that's not how it should be. I hate death. And, and that's the response we should have. We should hate death. But as believers, now who we are in Christ, as we are now different, it's a, a, a different ballgame for us. Death no longer is something that we fear, that we tremble at, that we are afraid of. Because of our union with Christ's death, we are also united to his resurrection. We have died with Christ. He says we will live with him. It's a day that's coming in the future when though we die here and breathe our last here, immediately we are going to take our first breath in eternity. There's no layover. There's no just deep sleep that you go into. You're gone here, boom, you're with the Lord. In the twinkling of an eye, as scripture talks about, faster than a blink, you're gonna be in the presence of God. And so death is not something here that we fear anymore because it's not the end, it's the beginning of eternal life with Christ. And it says that Christ died a death to sin that means that now that he's risen, he will never die again. And you and I are gonna be risen to live with him, like him, which means that once we've died here, we're gonna raise to life eternally, never to die again. Because death holds no power over Christ and it's going to hold no power over you or I either. See, death is, is something that is still around and, and it's, it's that thing that we loathe and that we hate, but it's not the thing that we fear anymore. Again, just like with that little girl, there are still orphans and she still has that past and she still looks back and she remembers being there and knows that that place is still there. But for her, it's no longer something that she fears because it's not a reality in her life anymore. For you and I as believers, yes, we will all experience physical death at some point. But it's going to be the dawning of eternal life for us. Our new identity in Christ has secured for us this new future. And again, as we're thinking about this identity in Christ begins with how we think about ourselves, how we think about our lives. Our second point tonight is this. You need to consider the future that you have in Christ. Consider the future that you have in Christ. It changes your perspective on the present. I was out for John Fabares' bachelor outing. We went golfing. Joseph Lopez was there running around the golf course. Where are you, Joseph? He was running around the golf course in an outfit I've never seen a golfer wear before, but we were having a good time. But it was funny because I remember being there and I remember looking at John. I remember thinking to myself, man, he does not care how he plays today. In fact, we went the morning of his wedding, we went out to play golf. And I remember being out there on the course with him and, and just going, he's playing with house money. He, he doesn't care how his golf game goes today. Why would John not care on his wedding day whether or not he played golf well? Because there's something better that's about to happen, right? He's looking forward to his wedding. He's going, who cares if I, and he played, he beat all of us. He destroyed all of us. But that's beside the point. He, it didn't matter right? Because even if he's played in the worst round of his life, he's thinking to himself, yeah, but today's my wedding day. And I know what's coming. I know that this is the day that I've been looking forward to, that I've been longing for, and it's finally here. You guys know that. Whether it's, you know, your high school graduation, you were looking forward to that, and that week leading up to it. Your last week of high school, and you're sitting there going, man, senioritis is in full effect. I just don't care anymore what happens. I'll follow whatever the rules are, because I'm going to be done here in a minute, and I'm going to be gone from this place, and I never have to go there again. 
Some of you guys may be thinking about that with college graduation coming up. Some of you guys are sitting there going, man, the fresh retreat is next weekend, so life can do whatever it wants because the fresh retreat is going to be off the chain and I cannot wait to be there, right? I know that's what you're thinking. We know what it's like to have a, a future event that, that impacts our, our present circumstances. Something that we're so focused on and looking forward to that we're like, you know what? Whatever. Whatever. Nothing can, can touch that. Whatever happens to me right now, it, it can't touch what's coming. It can't impact what's waiting for me. And that's what our identity in Christ does to the way that we look at death. We look at death, we look at, at this world and we say, okay, I don't need you. The things that I once thought were so important, the things that I once felt like I, I needed, I don't need those things anymore because I've got something so much better that's waiting for me in Christ. What does that look like? I know a lot of times we think about that and it's like, man, eternity, that's so hard to wrap my mind around. I don't know what it's going to be like and, and what are we going to be doing up there? We do have something in Revelation chapter 21 that I think gives us a glimpse and I read this and I'm like, dude, take me now. I want to be there. Because listen to what John saw. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Guys, that's what's waiting for us. So whatever it is in this world that weighs you down, that beats you down, that owns your thoughts and, and just depresses you and crushes your soul, guys, that is gone in eternity. That is gone in eternity. That's why Paul could say, hey, you know what? This suffering that I'm enduring right now, it's light, momentary affliction. It's light, it's momentary in light of what? The eternal weight of glory that God has prepared for me. And you say, okay, what, but that's Paul. Paul had it easy. No, he didn't. Paul was stoned and left for dead. He was beaten three times over with the whipping that Christ received on his back, the 39 lashes, which killed some people. Paul had that three times. Paul was shipwrecked. He slept in the, he didn't sleep, he, he would have died, but he was in the ocean a day and a night, right? He's floating out in the water. Jaws is happening to Paul, right? He's out there not knowing if he's going to live or die. That's Paul. And he says, you know, that's it's light, momentary in light of eternity. So whatever you guys are going through right now, I, I want you to adjust your perspective by considering the future that you have in Christ. The suffering that you're going through right now, and I get it, some of you are in difficult straits. Life is hard for you right now, and I, I'm not trying to cheapen that. It does hurt sometimes. There is real and genuine pain, and there are real and needed tears that flow sometimes. But know that your hope is not in trying to figure out a way to numb that and escape that. Because that won't last. Your hope is that there's a day coming when all that stuff that's led to that is going to be gone. Where God is going to wipe those tears away. Where death is no longer going to exist. 
No mourning, no crying. Do you guys ever think to yourselves, man, I'm, I'm good with Jesus coming back, but I, I just want him to wait until what? Fill in the blank. You guys ever had that thought? Yeah. Guys, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is so much better than whatever you put in that blank. Eternity is so much better than whatever you put in that blank. Start thinking about those things. Start giving intentional thought to those things, to what you have in Christ, that you have a future with Christ where we have died with Christ. We will also live with him because Christ has been raised from the dead and will never die again, which means that we will never die again because death no longer has dominion over him, which means it's no longer going to have dominion over us. Man, I can't wait for that. That can sustain us. I want to ask you, what would you give in exchange for that? And you may sit here tonight and say, well, nothing. But back to this idea of wrestling with our sin, fighting our sin. Anytime that we walk into sin willingly and knowingly, basically what we're doing is we're saying, I'd rather have this than that. No, it doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation when you sin. I'm not suggesting that, but I'm saying what you are doing, what you are practically saying to God is, God, that's great and all, but this is something that I need right now more than that in the future. And so this mindset of considering the future that you have in Christ, it can even be a sanctifying thing for us as well. There was a a prof at uh, the master's college back when it was a college and not a university, back when we were more humble than the people that go there now, and they're all, well, look at us, we're a university. Anyways, his name was C.W. Smith, and I never got to have him because he got really sick, and, and uh, he, has, he had cancer. And so, but he was still alive when my wife and I were attending there, and when he passed away, I, re- I remember the, it was a big deal on campus. He was a beloved professor. There's a dorm named after him there now. But I remember one of our Bible profs saying that he went to be around his bedside close to the end. And C.W. was a guy that was just passionate about Christ, loved the Lord, firm, strong, relationship with God. And he was laying there in his bed and he couldn't speak anymore because of what the cancer had done. And and one of the profs looked at him and they said, C.W., are you worried? Are you anxious about death? Do you have any fears about dying? And he said, he motioned for the the whiteboard that he had and he had the whiteboard and he wrote on it and he turned around to, to show them. And it said, no, because I can't wait to sing again. Like That's what his mindset was. At death's doorstep, he was so consumed with the future that he was about to walk into in Christ, going, it's going to be amazing for me to sing again. God, get rid of this body that I'm in. I'm ready to go. Take me home because it's going to be so much better than what this world has now. That's where we've got to get to. That future. Our identity in Christ has dealt with our past. It's dealt with our future. But what about the right now? What about today? What do we do tonight? Pick up again in verse 10. It says about Jesus, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives presently, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's a verse. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to to God in Christ Jesus. Once more, our identity in Christ must be practically anchored to the way in which we conceive of ourselves. 
how we think about ourselves, dead to sin. Sin no longer has power over us. We have been set free from sin. Practically what that means is when you sin, it's because you are choosing to sin, not because sin is making you do it. It's because you're walking into it with your eyes wide open going, I want this. Because you've been freed from that sin. Sin can no longer say jump and you have the answer of how high. That relationship is done. It's over. It's severed. You have died to sin and now our lives have a new purpose. Just as Christ now lives alive to God, we are also to live our lives alive to God in Christ Jesus. Again, it's a a mindset that we need to have. Our thinking needs to change. How we conceive of ourselves needs to change. What you live for now, guys, can be so much better. In fact, it, it not just can be, it is so much better than anything you used to live for. To bring so much joy and satisfaction and hope more than anything else that you've ever lived for before because now it's time to live for Christ. Point number three tonight is this. Consider how to live today. Consider how you should live today. giving that that practical consideration to your day-to-day life, going, I'm going to wake up this morning and my goal today, my purpose today, my aim today is to live alive to God. I'm going to talk about what that looks like here in just a minute. But even just starting with that conceptually, if we will get out of bed in the morning and, and part of our morning prayer is, God, help me to live for you today. Not alive to my passions and my lust and my desires and my wants, my flesh, but alive to you today to surrender to him, to live according to his word. And doing that's going to produce a, a better life for you. Think about some of the things that Jesus said should mark believers. Blessed are those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart. This is from the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, right? Blessed are those, happy are those who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers, who are humble. And those, those are things that are, are good that, that we would say, okay, if, if I'm going to live alive to God and that's part of what it looks like to live alive to God, then great. Let me do that. But Jesus also went on and he said, look, you need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He said, well, you need to forgive one another as God has forgiven you. He said, you need to love one another. And he said, you need to love one another as I have loved you. And then he said, you need to also serve one another. I mean, think about that. Think about the world's caricature of a Christian, right? Judgmental, harsh, mean-spirited, bigoted, narrow-minded. And think about the descriptions of the life that Jesus is calling us as believers to live, to follow Christ, to live a life to God. What does that look like? Being merciful, being pure, being a, a peacemaker being humble, not hating our enemies, loving our enemies and and praying for the people that persecute us, forgiving others. How many times, right? Peter's question to Jesus, 490 times, no. An endless number of times, forgive, 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 love one another as Christ had loved us with a sacrificial love that has the other person's good at mind. Serve one another. 
Guys, if, if you will live that way, and really what I'm driving at here more than just pulling those things out, because we could go so many places in the scriptures. What it means to live alive to God today means that you're going to take your life and you're going to take this book, the Bible, and you're going to say, I want my life to match this book as much as I possibly can have it match and align. And whenever I see that my life is not lined up with this book, I'm going to bring it in line with what this book wants from me. Put off, put on. Put on the armor of God. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Okay, I'm in. Let me do that. I want to do that. And I'm going to have to do that daily because, man, that flesh is still going to be here until I go and be with the Lord. It's still going to be a constant battle, but I'm going to be in the war daily doing these things. This life lived to the Lord, for the Lord. It's a life lived for someone else. It's a life lived confident in your standing because it's not based on you. It's a life that's freed from self. Consider, first command in Romans, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's so much there for us. So much in the Christian life comes down to that mental battle for you. That's why Paul said in Colossians 3, set your mind, right, on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Why he said in Romans 12, do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, right? So much about the the success or failure of your day as a follower of Christ and whether or not at the end of the day you're going to be looking back at a day going, wow, God, thank you for everything that you did in my life in that day, or you're going to be looking back at the end of the day going, wow, I didn't honor Christ today at all. So much of that is going to start with your mental state at the beginning of the day. How are you reckoning yourself? How are you considering yourself? Are you looking at the facts and what conclusions are you drawing? Again, back to that little girl. Orphans have to fight for their food. That's a reality. That's part of their identity. But that little girl, now that she was adopted, she didn't have to live that way anymore. She didn't have to fight for the food anymore. You and I, guys, it's the same thing. Our identity has changed. How are you living? How are you thinking about yourself? How are you considering your life? Are you still considering that you're the old man that was crucified with Christ? Or are you now realizing, though, that you are freed from the power of sin and you are now part of God's family and able to live for him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the reality of our identity in Christ and the shift that's taken place. So thankful and grateful for that, Lord. God, help us to live more in that reality, to win the battle in in our minds daily, to consider ourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus, Lord, and to, to live in light of all that that means and to put off sin and to put on Christ's likeness, to keep that focus on the future that's going to be ours because we have been united with Christ in a death like his and we will be united in a resurrection like his and that future governs our mindset and allows us to look at this world and say, I don't need you anymore because of what's coming. God, give us that mindset, that devotion and allow us daily to live for you, for your glory in Christ's name, amen.